to you. Welcome home. <laughs> and may God bless you as you share with us what he's given to you. Thank you. Well, thank you, first of all, Reuben, for reading that long uh, scripture reading this morning. Um, if you will all flip with me to Matthew 1, 1, the very first gospel uh, in our New Testament. But be, actually, sorry, before that, let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas Eve. We thank you for this time that we have to come together to focus in on your word, to focus in on what you've done for us through your Son, God incarnate, coming down to earth and being our Savior, our Messiah, just as he was back then, he is today. Lord, may we focus in on what you have to teach us today. And may your Holy Spirit guide us as we, as we go out from here. In your name we pray, amen. Sorry, so keep on flipping to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Um, as you're flipping there, uh, we have four Gospels, correct? Yes? Yes? Okay, right on, perfect. Uh, we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John starts off his Gospel explaining uh, how Jesus was there at, at creation. He is the Logos. He is there before everything happened with God. He created the world with God. Mark goes straight into Jesus' ministry. He explains, Jesus starts ministering to people. He talks about John the Baptist. He doesn't even explain the birth narrative. Now we have Luke and we have Matthew. Luke's written for the Greeks, or for the Gentiles. Mark is written for the Greeks. Luke is written for the Greeks, and he explains, or for the, sorry, I'm confusing these, the Gentiles, because he explains uh, different traditions. He explains why Jesus uh, was circumcised. He explained why Mary and Joseph had to leave places. As we read this morning, Matthew doesn't explain any of this. He just assumes that his readers know what's going on. He assumes that his readers know exactly where these prophecies are coming from. We, we don't. In our, in our time right now, uh, we aren't Jews. We don't understand this. So Matthew is written in light of the Jews. And so let us keep that in mind as we turn to uh, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Zeron, and Zeron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashem, and Nashem the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, and so on and so forth. We get this huge genealogy. And then we jump down to uh, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Does anyone feel encouraged by that genealogy? Yeah? No? Maybe raise a hand? 
maybe not. Right. Um, so we we have these genealogies in here, and and for the readers of that time, there'd be some pretty big implications by what Matthew is saying here. But we just whiz right over them because what does it matter who Zayah is and Amminadab and all these guys that we read about in the Old Testament? And why does it matter? If there's 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. Well. Matthew here, he's doing, uh, he's literally spelling out King David's name. Uh, 14 is the number that is associated to the Davidic king, David. Um, and so in saying 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations, he's saying that this child that is to come, this is the Davidic king. This is your royal king here to come save you. So that's pretty big. Now, he mentions four women, which is very interesting. Uh, in verse 3, can anyone, if you guys are following along, in verse 3, who's, who's the woman that's mentioned? Just sh shout out the name. It starts it's with a T. Tamar. Right. Does anyone remember Tamar? The, the Canaanite? The woman that was known for seducing God's people? Why is she in there? Next woman that's, that's mentioned is in verse 5. There's two women. First one's Rahab. We went to Jericho, remember? Us as Jewish people, we went to Jericho. We will march around their walls. But we were taught that by a woman in Jericho, a prostitute. Why is she in here? Ruth. Well, Ruth is known for being at, at the feet of Boaz's feet. And in, in ancient times, that's maybe, um, maybe it doesn't really mean a whole lot now, but uh, that's scandalous uh, if, if we were to view it in Old Testament times. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't a Jew. Rahab wasn't a Jew. Tamar wasn't a Jew. And the last woman that's mentioned, she's not mentioned by name, but the wife of Uriah, who knew David, and her first name is like a, a washing event, I guess, that you have as a little kid. The middle is like part of a, uh, to explain a woman maybe, and the last is like a sh the noise a sheep make. Bathsheba. <laughs> um, she's not even mentioned in, as her name, but yet she was, she was a Hittite. She wasn't a Jew. And that was David's biggest downfall. Why is this mentioned in the genealogy? Well, hopefully as we read, we'll, we'll find a, a little more on that. Now, as the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way, when his mother had been engaged to Joseph, uh, his mother had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man, was unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly, which at that time would have been appropriate for her being um, viewed as unfaithful. But just when he had resolved to do this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is, this is fascinating. Jesus isn't biologically Joseph's child. 
But yet Joseph is attributed to being his father through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is grafted into the genealogy and therefore is the son of David and is the son of Abraham. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Whoa, that's, that's huge. Now all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is taken from Isaiah seven fourteen. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This, this word... God, Emmanuel, God with us, is then repeated at the very end of Matthew. Matthew comes back to this theme, and he's saying his entire book is about God being with us, and this is Jesus coming down to help guide us. And so he's encapsulating from the very beginning to the very end. Jesus says at the very end, and I will be with you until the end of the age. And Matthew starts off his book saying, This man is coming. He is God with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, and he had no marital relations with her, and she had bore a son and named him Jesus. And that's the end of the Christmas story for Matthew. Where's the shepherds? Where's Where's the angels? Where's the, you know... Handel's Messiah singing hallelujah. Where is this stuff? It's not here. He he leaves it out. Luke mentions why Joseph and Mary have to travel over to Bethlehem and they don't stay where they are. Luke mentions the shepherds coming down and worshiping him on the day he was born. Matthew just cuts that all out. Instead, he jumps two years later and he says, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. He jumps to to pagans that are following after stars. He doesn't talk about the devoutful Jews that that are trying to follow and find this Messiah. He's pointing towards men that, that worship things that God made on the second day. He also mentions King Herod, which, if you want to look at a bad guy in this narrative, King Herod's definitely one of the bad guys. The King Herod the Great, uh, as he was called, killed his first wife and two of his sons. And it was usually said that it was safer to be Herod's, uh, Herod's pig than it was to be his son, because he got butchered less. Um, and so... And, and Herod was a little, little twisted. He killed his wife and he put her in a giant jar of honey. I don't know if it's because she wasn't being too sweet with him or something, but he's a little twisted. He's a little messed up. Herod's son is the one that kills John the Baptist and mocks Jesus. Herod's grandson is the one that kills John the Apostle. Herod's great-grandson is the one that tries Paul, the Apostle. Not exactly a great family. But the wise men, they show up to King Herod and they explain to Herod what they have seen. They have been revealed in the best way that they know possible that something big is happening. And not only that, 
but for a Jewish reader reading this, these guys quote from their scriptures. They say, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Um, that is taken from uh, Micah 5.2. And then 2 Samuel 5.2 is then also added on to the end. For from you shall come a ruler who is the shepherd of my people, who, uh, who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Now, I don't think Herod's too happy about all of this. But wise men leave. They bring three gifts. We're always told we three kings of Orient are. That's reading into the text a whole lot. We, there's no evidence that any of these guys were kings. They were, they were, maybe we'd use them as sorcerers, mages. Maybe some of them were kings. But there's no proof in the text that there was three of them or that there was any sort of royalty to them besides them bringing the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These guys were not followers of Yahweh, yet they understood what this child meant. To an extent, they understood. How can God let that happen? And then, not only that, they are warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and so they left for the country by another road. God comes to these people that are so far off, and he tries to guide them towards Jesus. With no reference to Jews coming towards Jesus, as what Luke would explain. Now after the Magi had left, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph again in a dream and said, get up and take your child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up and took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is Hosea 11.1. 1. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Remember the last time the Jews were in Egypt? I'm just saying, this, this narrative is not looking good for a Jewish reader that it is intended for. Now, now our Savior, the person that was to, was to save all of our people, overthrow Herod, and save us from all of our sins, this guy is going back to Egypt, the place that we fought so hard to get out of, the place that we really relied on Yahweh to get out of, and Moses helped us. Why is he going there? He flees there to, to, um, to be taken away from the persecution that is going to head towards Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is, is about a, a little town of about 300 people at this time, take your, uh, take more or less. Um, but still, all the, all the children there are killed. They flee to Egypt. And they return. Joseph is guided again by the angel not to go back to Bethlehem, but to go to Galilee of Nazareth so that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. As Isaiah 11.1 1 says, Jeremiah 23.5 says, and Zechariah 3.8. 
Matthew is filled with fulfilling these prophecies of who Jesus is and what he's going to do. Yet, why does it matter that he's a Nazarene? Well, Nazarene is also the Hebrew word for branch. And so Jesus is the, the branch of which uh, comes out of Jesse's genealogy. Jesus is the branch that brings order and forgiveness of sins. So there's a double meaning in he's a Nazarene. Now, why does this all matter? Why does it, why does it matter that the angel comes to Joseph? Why does it matter that there is three or hundreds of wise men that they found Jesus? Why does it matter that there was four women that were not of good reputation mentioned in Jesus' genealogy? From the very beginning of Jesus' story, the authors understand that we are all invited into Jesus' kingdom. We are all welcomed in as broken sinners, as broken people in a time that, that we, don't even, we don't understand that everything that's going on, but yet we know we need to strive towards Jesus, yet we know we need to keep on following the star. These people were unworthy in the Jewish eyes of being revealed to the Messiah. Yet it explains that they are the first ones. It's so interesting. Matthew, Matthew's trying to tell us that it's not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles. From the very beginning of his book, that Jesus came to die not for just the Jews, but for the Gentiles, for all of us. Now, we obviously have a response from this. As we go into our Christmas season, as we go into a time where we're going to be with family members that are maybe not always easy to deal with, we may be with neighbors that give us a hard time. We may have certain conversations that are, that are hard to have. May we come into it with the same love that God shows to those who are unworthy because we are all unworthy. God sent his son down for us and for all, that through him we might be saved. I want to encourage us that for those who are hurting during this Christmas time, maybe you've lost a loved one, maybe you're battling through um, illnesses, that we will be there for one another. That like the angel we will keep on relying on God, sorry, like Joseph, relying on the angel through what God had to say through the angel, that we will keep on relying on God in this time, that he will keep on directing us to have those conversations, to be there with our families, to be there with the loved ones in our lives. Because God sent his son for us all. And we must, we must, in response, love one another in the same way that he has loved us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who came down to us to help us understand how much you love us. 
for us to understand that you want salvation for our lives, that you want salvation's salvation for those who do not deserve it. Lord, we thank you for times like this in our year, that we can come in and we can focus in on your son, that we can focus in that he did not just die for those who are worthy, but that he died for those who are unworthy, which is actually all of us. Lord, we thank you for being the Lord in our life and being our salvation for now and forever. Amen.